Hello, listeners. Welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, everything that you need for the Arizona Cardinals fans. We'll be talking uh, a lot tonight about the brutal loss for the Chargers, the second, yeah, not, not just one, the second 45-10 to 10 loss for the Arizona Cardinals on the season. We're taking a look at Steve Kine, the roster, and ahead to the game upcoming against the Green Bay Packers. As always, I'm going to be joined by my co-host. Uh, he is John Venerable at Johnny's Football on Twitter. John, how are you doing? I'm great, Blake, and it's a good thing we didn't record this this podcast right after the game on Sunday and, and gave it a little bit of time to breathe because, uh, you know, it gets more and more depressing every week. And so we decided to space it out a little bit. Uh, had some great dialogue earlier this week with John um, mm-hmm. from the draft site, and uh, hopefully he can mix it up a little bit like that moving forward. But as far as the Cardinals and their, you know, the rest of the 2018 season goes, it's looking pretty grim as uh, this could very well be the worst team in franchise history. Yeah, I think that there's some teams at least where you, you know people are talking about going back to the 1950s as far as for, you know, at least record-wise or play-wise, but as far as for uh, historical lows. And I, I think you have to just start with looking at the game. We, we talked about going into it, John. We talked about how the Raiders' loss was such a bad loss. You had to question if the team was going to go and give up. And at first, they did not. At first, you were looking at, uh, end of the first quarter, like, all right, this team's got a bit of fight in them. It's 10-0. They go down, have a long opening drive, balanced offense, and then they end up getting a takeaway, uh, come back down the field, get a field goal, it couldn't punch it in, and the uh, something that's been a repeated issue for this team down in the red zone. And then once the second quarter started, got a takeaway, Phil Dawson misses yet another field goal, and it all just seemed to went to hell in a hand basket there. 28 straight points. For the Niners ended up finishing with 45 straight points overall. 25 completions is a new record, at least for Phillip Rivers. Dink and Dunks, terrible tackling, awful effort. This was the, if you're looking for a the offense quit on Mike McCoy, this was the defense quit on Steve Wilkes game. John, what happened in this game as far as for why did Arizona come out? And as soon as the first sign of trouble came, they just fell apart because this is what we had expected, but it still was tough to see. Yeah, I was in a little bit of disbelief, at least early on when the Cardinals were playing as competitive as they were, being up 10 nothing early in the first quarter. The, you know, the first couple possessions couldn't have gone better for the Cardinals. Came down, drove the length of the field. Rosen looked incredibly sharp. David Johnson was running hard. Rosen capped that, the, off that scoring drive. I mean, the Cardinals scored on their opening drive. How many times have they done that this year? Uh, capping it off with a touchdown to Fitzgerald, the Cardinals' only touchdown on the day. You know, they come back, they force a three and out. They eventually drive down the field again, kick a field goal, get a, get a turnover eventually, and just can't capitalize after Phil Dawson made uh, or missed that field goal. Uh, and then the wheels kind of came off. And I think the most frustrating thing for Cardinal fans is not only did the wheels come off and this team saw themselves after being up 10 to zero, facing a deficit now of 18, 28 to 10 at halftime, but coming out of that second half, this has been one of the biggest things that I think we've been critical of is halftime adjustments with this coaching staff and the lack thereof. If there's mm-hmm. ever a, a spot that we can pinpoint for Steve Wilkes and his staff of just a weakness week in and week out, it's the fact that they come out of halftime looking completely unprepared, um, you know, completely oblivious to any kind of adjustments being made. And every other coach that they faced um, really kind of ragdolls them in the second half. Uh, and that's really the opposite of what we've come to know with Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians was 
notoriously outstanding coming out of the third quarter, making adjustments uh, with his coordinators and, and really gave the Cardinals a chance to win every week. Now it's like if the Cardinals aren't winning at halftime or if it's not close, it's, it's essentially looking like a blowout based on the fact that, you know, this team struggles to score points, but now defensively with how poor they look, uh, injuries play a part in that specifically at linebacker, but you know, there's just, there's no excuse for the lackluster effort. And you know, what came out this week, Ken Summers had a pretty poignant comment saying that this was the first time that he had seen this team, Ken Summers, the Arizona Republic openly just kind of quit on Steve Wilkes going through the motions, not into it. Um, you know, the, the story of this game, obviously Philip Rivers completing and breaking an NFL record for most consecutive completions to start a game. I think the former was done by former Redskin Mark Brunel. I think he had 20 or 21 in a row. Philip Rivers completed 25 passes in a row. And for whatever reason, the Cardinals just could not get any kind of pressure outside of two and a half sacks from Robert Kimdichie to disrupt his rhythm. The Cardinals, who have been a top five, this is, this is a stat that really nobody talks about. With similar players, Blake, has been a top five defensive unit for five straight years. Suddenly looks like a bottom tier defensive team when the majority of their talent is on defense and just that to me it goes back to coaching it goes back to effort and just you know there's nothing schematically to even go over anymore because again there's injuries at linebacker or it's november 29th we're recording this podcast they've been running this four three kind of hybrid since april since otas like i don't want to hear any more about scheme fits it's it's about effort it's about the fact that these 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 guys aren't playing hard for steve wilkes right now and I think the biggest indictment any team can have of its head coach, of its leadership, potentially of its personnel, is what you saw in the fourth quarter when Josh Rosen was openly just handing the ball off to David Johnson, to Chase Edmonds, just to try to go three and out, so just to stop the bleeding, just to run the clock out. It's like, it was like a high school game. It reminded me, you go to a high school game, and you see a team down, it might be a running clock, and they're just handing the ball off to get the game over. Like the Cardinals were just... A pro team, a pro NFL team who was in the NFC Championship game three years ago, who went 8-8 eight eight last year with lesser talent against a Charger team that a week ago lost to a, an average Bronco team, basically giving the game away, well, the game had been given away, but just saying, get me on the airplane, I want to get out of here. Yeah. And that, that, that couldn't be more demoralizing for a fan base. I felt sick to my stomach watching that because... You know, I never thought that the Cardinals, after all the progress they've made, you know, going from a team that was kicked out of St. Louis, essentially, all those years at Arizona State, now after 2006, the new arena, Michael Bidwell taking over, like you thought these days were behind them. They are the worst team in football, probably by a large margin at this point. And I think it just goes to show that, you know what, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but just is it personnel? Is it coaching? I think it's a little bit of both, but for the most part, these guys have just, I think they've quit on the season, Blake. Yeah. It's hard to be able to argue, especially when the coaching staff is seeming to quit. But uh, as far as like, even you mentioned at the end of the game, just running the football, it was basically waving the white flag, not even trying to balance the offense or even not bringing out, they didn't bring in Mike Glennon because uh, he was questionable with his wife potentially going into labor that week. So Charles Kanoff was promoted. He may have been, I believe I'd have to check the, be the backup for the game. So they were going to leave Rosen and Fitzgerald on the field, but then still to run that to not even, you know, the, it's, it's a question of what exactly are you playing for then, especially if you're looking at, you know, you're not even putting in any type of valuable reps. You could have put in the backup. You could have done something different. It just did not make, uh, it didn't make any sense for a team as far as that, 
really wants to, I, I, I guess the best thing I can at least say about it, John, is it doesn't feel like this Cardinals coaching staff has the directive to go out and win games anymore. As far as it seems like it was almost a decision that was made for the team. It was like, all right, we have to pack it up, get out of here. Like we, we, once this game is over, we have to protect Rosen at all costs. That would seem to be the order from on a high. The way to do that was just by kind of running the football and just ending the game, ending the suffering. Just going back to even with what we were talking about is uh, the fact that this team has reached the point where they're very much soft now. I think a lot of it comes to not believing in their coaching staff and believing in themselves. You look at how the Cardinals started, all phases of the game were working well. You had the touchdown play on the long drive. You forced a three and out, got a punt. You had a uh, return, I believe at least, from um, Christian Kirk. You had a nice long return afterwards that led that field goal drive. Uh, the Chargers come back, get a touchdown. The Cardinals end up going back and punting the ball back to the Chargers. Then they finally get another takeaway in the end of the first quarter, they missed that field goal with a minute, 30 seconds left. All of a sudden, then that just seems to turn the entire game around. Rosen throws an interception afterwards. All of a sudden, the Chargers go back, score another touchdown. And then the way the clock, at least how it was managed, like we talked about, was a thinking and dunking. But just before the half, uh, there was, a, I believe it was a five-play drive. It was at uh, the Cardinals, I guess, had first and 10. You had incomplete pass left. You had a uh, incomplete pass short left and then on second and five there was another incomplete pass or a short pass you say to david johnson hit the two-minute warning and then they took a shot uh, third and six that to me was the one thing that was interesting because i was like okay you're taking a shot third and six you're trying to see if you can score before the half is done i didn't like it because i felt like what they needed to do was not give san diego time because san diego got the ball back after the half you knew that there was no way that you're going to have this team be able to come back uh, if you come out and get a three and out and then get the ball back go down score then you're still able to make it a game instead san diego goes up 28 10 the entire game kind of hinged overall on that phil dawson missed field goal he is no longer with the team uh, john let's talk a bit about what you said with the fact of is it a talent issue because for me i think it's not as much a talent issue as much as i feel like this is a team that has lost trust in its coaching staff but i also think it is an area of like we talked about you don't have the linebackers to maybe play the scheme you're struggling overall the only positive in the game at least that you could probably look at is the fact that robert Candici came out and surprised a lot of people with i uh, had seven tackles he had two and a half sacks in the game looked like a very disruptive player throughout the first and second quarter up until the quick dink and dunk passes came through and uh, this cardinals team they've had no trouble getting to the pass so Candici is actually second on the team in sacks now and maybe health is a part of it maybe him having to be you know kind of told me he was a guy who didn't want it or couldn't get out of the training room maybe that gave him a bit of motivation but johnny what what are we looking at with this team is this an area where you're looking at putting the blame on the coaching staff or are we going to be talking about this is on players who aren't following the coaching staff with the gaps or are we going to put this more on steve keim and the team that he's assembled and the coaches that he frankly handpicked overall yeah, anytime that you're trending toward the first overall pick, Blake, and you're one of the worst teams in franchise history, personnel does not get uh, a pass from me. Uh, it's, a, it's a clear problem, but I think where most fans, and you and I are frustrated, is we saw really a lesser roster last year. The Cardinals had, maybe outside of a couple pieces up front on the offensive line, a worse roster last year and won eight games because of Bruce Arians, because of the coaching mm -hmm. staff. 
And so, right. And I I would beg to differ. The Cardinals outside of some injuries up front of the offensive line have been a relatively healthy team this year and have more talent. Josh Rosen is better than anybody. The Cardinals played at quarterback last year. They have David Johnson. Christian Kirk is a better number two than the Cardinals had a year ago. Defensively, it's probably a wash. Um, but you get Marcus Golden back, Buda Baker's in his second year. So like fans don't really want to hear the excuse of personnel because they've seen a lot of these guys, they own Buchanan have success under a different regime. And so when somebody tries to come in and say, we're going to do things differently, but it's just like, well, wait a minute, it's been working. The one thing that, that you should be able to carry over is a defensive effort, you know, consistent defensive play. That's going to set you somewhere in the top 10 because that's what your MO is if you're Steve Wilkes. And so for Cardinal fans to just see just a, you know, offensively, we've covered it so much. It's like beating the dead horse. But I think the bigger story of the second half now is the fact that this defense just has quit on the staff. And so I go back to your original point. I would probably say it's about 60-40 coaching versus personnel. But that's a hard 60 on coaching because it's as low as I can grade a, a coaching staff for one year. But then you look at, you know, personnel-wise, like, the Cardinals in 2018 have more talent, I would venture, than five or six teams. They have more talent, I believe, than the Miami Dolphins or the Buffalo Bills. I think they've got more talent in spaces than the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, like, there are teams that you could stack up and say, like, the Niners don't have any talent right now and have almost beaten the Cardinals twice with backup quarterbacks. I mean, it's just the Raiders had no business winning against the Cardinals. They have no talent on that roster right now. So, there are bottom three. I would say, okay, if there's three tiers in the NFL, great, average, and below average. The Cardinals are in below average per, for personnel, but they're not the worst team. They're the worst coach team in the NFL right now. I don't think that's up for debate. And I don't think and, that's changed since week one. That no. Even, no, it hasn't, unfortunately. No, I, I, I 100% agree with you. We have not seen any improvement. It's, and we talked about it, Blake. You know, I when we heard the, the, the noise from you know Cardinal Nation, the Bird Gang, week four week five week six i was pretty defendant in the camp that you know what like i can't fire steve wilkes we can't get rid of steve wilkes that's just not a good look you know they're going to show improvement we got to see improvement over the second half and again we talked about blake they could go two and 14 and if they were competitive like he's going to get brought back The, the opposite is happening we talked about it like two months ago the only way i thought that he could lose his job and i'll give you credit you were the first to kind of say like this doesn't seem to be going turning around at any point because he can't make adjustments. We talked about halftime adjustments a minute ago. They can't make adjustments week to week. It's like they're, they're just openly guessing, well, we'll plug this player here. We'll make a personnel change here, fire offensive coordinator, blah, blah, blah. Like you can only do that so much until you, he's just been completely exposed this year as Steve Wilkes has, as just somebody who's in over his head. We talk about it every week. He was a one-year defensive coordinator that's, that doesn't bode well to come in in today's NFL and and lead a team to where the Cardinals want to go. Uh, and so, you know, you, you let him coach the rest of the season. People who are clamoring for him to get fired. Like, the, if the Cardinals fired Steve Wilkes, you, you can't start interviewing candidates until the season regular season is over. People don't understand that. You can't touch anybody else. Now, like, you can work through agents, but, like, my guess is Steve Kimes – if he's still going to be the head coach, he's probably doing that now. Once Steve Kime knows his status through Michael Bidwell, like he's going to start going through that process. And you don't need like it's we're still in November. You don't need two months of prep time on coach. Like 
you need like maybe three or four weeks, right? And so like if they know they're going to fire Steve Wilkes now, like keep an eye on who you like, scout both collegiate NFL coaches, and then like when the season's over, if you've been in touch with their agents, get them in for interviews right away. And I think that's what the Cardinals are going to do. But like there is no incentive to fire Steve Wilkes right now. People are saying, well, it's morale for the end of the year. This team is done. If, if Byron Leftwich is their coach, I, I don't even know who you would put as an intern. Byron Leftwich has never been a coordinator. Now you're going to make him a head coach with a month remaining. Like you just, you let this guy take over or excuse me, you let this guy go out gracefully these last couple of weeks. I mean, like I say, gracefully, they're getting their doors beaten off. Yeah. It's going to happen with or without him in charge. But again, folks that want him fired now, I get it. I understand the frustration. The Cardinal fan base does not deserve this. And you should demand better. Like, I don't want it to come off as, well, he's being a company guy. Like, no, do not accept this garbage. That That's for sure. And, like, the best way to do that is to stop buying tickets, stop buying merchandise. Like, uh, do what you want with your disposable income and do not support a team that, that trots this kind of product out. If they're ma- If they're willing to make changes, that's one thing. And I think they are, and I think Michael Bidwell will, will, will get this right because I, I trust him as a, as a team president and eventual owner of the team. But let's give Steve Wilkes to the end of the year. Let's be courteous. And then you know what? It's one bad season. It doesn't define you. You've got a lot of positives, believe it or not, moving forward into 2019 and beyond. But this year, I mean, it's, it's over for Steve. Yeah, I think that's been the biggest area is once the players give up on the coach, not only is that something that, uh, as we said, fans are smart, fans can tell, fans are the ones who obviously are the supporting, and that's where I believe that the Lions game that we have coming up as a home game, it's going to be a very difficult, rough game for the Cardinals fans, since even with the fact that the Lions have not been a great team this year, there's so many out-of-town, out-of-state people, so many people who will be selling their tickets that it's going to be kind of embarrassing, I think, if you end up going in and do end up losing to a struggling Lions team with the majority of people wearing the silver and blue in the house. That's kind of the sign of when you got back to the end of the 2012 season. That was very much what a lot of teams were expecting. And the Cardinals, even in that 2012 season, were good enough to beat the Lions. So I think uh, part of what you're looking at also is when we're talking about with development or taking steps forward, one of the biggest things that we have not seen, at least, is we have not seen the offense take that next step outside of David Johnson, where you're seeing David Johnson averaging maybe about 150 or so plus yards a game had been averaging maybe 71 yards before the biggest change that happened in the offense was mostly instead of running it straight up the middle, you were seeing a lot more calls for the outside, a lot more of, you know, creative ways or, whether it was swing passes, screens, that was really what Byron Leftwich did, which was just going back to the 2016 playbook. We still have not seen yet, I believe, a fully 300-yard passing game from Josh Rosen. We've gotten the three-touchdown game, but we haven't seen him take that next step into being a passer. And it's even worse is that he's getting such a high pressure rate. The offensive line is switching out week in and week out. Andre Smith basically just let uh, Joey Boso run by him for a easy sack. Rosen's kind of gotten to the part where he's rattled enough that you aren't really sure what's going to get each week and he just is kind of a guy who at this point is having to kind of not totally turtle on himself at least like how there's a lot of quarterbacks are but he's just looking rack rattled like Jared Goff was in his rookie year where the Cardinals went off in that final game and sacked him at least four times if not more and that's just what you can have from a rookie who's having to go through all the different areas the progressions 
it's an extra step at least that you're going to need to take with finding a better, more stable situation and a head coach. And uh, with Leftwich, that's the other thing I think that comes back as far as fans like, well, we might lose Byron Leftwich. You might have this that's lost. One of the stats that Graham Barfield showed up with since he took over, Cardinals are still last in yards gained per drive. It's only about 22 yards gained. They're second from last in drives ending in a score. I believe the Bills the only team that's worse, and the Bills have a far superior defense to the Arizona Cardinals. And the offensive line still has the highest pressure rate overall. So that when you're talking about the Byron Leftwich experience so far, maybe some of that is still shackled to Mike McCoy, but it's still the same type of you still have a rookie offensive coordinator taking over someone else's scheme who's still having to kind of learn the art of play calling learning a lot of the areas and has a rookie quarterback who's been taking hits like crazy there's still not enough of the adjustments that's being made and the learning curve i think is it's just so such a big huge step that it doesn't seem to make sense to me to be able to say that there's justification for bringing him back as well uh let's uh the other thing at least also with rosen i believe is as far as pressure rates go and this is something that i believe on our uh, kind of our sister podcast uh, for revenge of the birds and the rise up sea red podcast they discussed how rosen has faced the highest pressure i believe it's the most difficult throws that you can have as a quarterback where you're talking about the least amount of time to throw combined with the least amount of separation from the wide receivers and having to thus therefore throw into the tightest window. Rosen is leading the league and is probably not close with that, which in some cases it's good that he's an aggressive quarterback. It also speaks to the fact that this team does not have enough talent behind him. They're still not seeing separation. You're still not seeing routes that are getting guys open and the offensive line is not protecting long enough. Um, so that seems to speak to the talent and all this team that Steve Kime has assembled. We'll get to that and some of what we're looking at for 2019 in just a second. But before we move on to that, John, I just wanted to ask you about Robert Kandici because this is kind of year three of the Kandici experience. We're still seeing injuries and problems with the lower body. And then we've still seen some explosiveness. There's been questions some have had about if he's keeping his gaps or if he's you know just kind of freewheeling and going at the quarterback it doesn't seem to be the case considering how the cardinals have still struggled with the run game no matter what what are your thoughts on him as far as with the rest of the season if he continues to show be this consistent or if it's going to be the same type of roller coaster that we're experiencing what what are you expecting from kandichi and what do you think is going to be his role when the cardinals are entering 2019 and what looks to be his contract year yeah, it's it's a the dilemma I think the team's going to face next year uh, with that fifth year option. Uh, I'd be inclined to to pick it up at this point just because, you know, it's not overly big in terms of what how much cap room they're going to have, and if you're able to get some contributions from him at that level, and that was his best game as a pro. I'm not saying he's trending up because you'd have to put it together over the course of a four or five week period. But I think at the end of the day, if it's Steve Kime making the decision, uh, he's going to give his own draft pick the benefit of the doubt. I, the only way I could see it not working out that way is if Steve is like, go at the end of the season, you got a new GM and he's just looking to, to cut the cord. You've got, you know, potentially a top three pick that you can use on the defensive line. Um, like John mentioned on Monday's podcast, it's, it's hard to find defensive linemen in today's NFL, if you draft them high enough, that aren't at least competent players. And we've seen that from Kim Dietschy. He may be undisciplined at times, but when he's on the field, like he's a solid starter in the NFL, and he has flashes of being a Pro Bowl-level defensive tackle. I mean, he's got the ability. It, it was showcased this week why the Cardinals took him uh, where they did. The Most of the NFL draft pundits had Kim Dietschy as a top 
10, maybe top five talent coming out just because of his explosiveness and the fact that he can rush the quarterback. He can rush the quarterback. He lived in the backfield at Old Miss. And so the Cardinals gambled on him, and so far they've been burned by his immaturity. He's, he's immature still at this point in his career, in his third year. That's not a great sign. Rarely do guys turn it around. But he got called out by a coaching staff he probably doesn't respect. You know, if Bruce Arians was here, that'd be one thing. But, you know, he, he does. He spends way too much time in the training room. He gets out of there this week and just puts on an absolute clinic. And it just leads you to believe that, man, where's this been, Robert? Why mm-hmm. can't you get out here and do this consistently every week? We need you out here. And it just, you know, I, I, I follow him on Instagram, social media. He's always doing things that aren't football related, which is, which is great. Like it's, it's great to be cultured and have other interests, but it's like yeah, Larry Fitzgerald is an easy example of that. Like you see all of its travel vacations, taking right. photos. there's a lot that goes into being a players, but, but he backs it up on the field. Mm-hmm. And that's where he opens and Kandichi's going to open himself to a lot of criticism if he's not going to be the kind of person backing that up. And that's kind of how it's going to go no matter what. If you're a I've, player who's performing, you're a player who is, you know, putting it back behind there, people yeah. are going to just embrace and love that and embrace that personality. And I think it's like with the commercials, at least as far as what's, you know, Steve Wilkes, they still are on Arizona radio, have commercials at least about with like Ford and some of the other commercials. And some of that is he came in as a coach. That's like something that he's earned this his right to. But when you're making something like that one and you're going to be on the radio at least each and every week and fans are upset at you if you're not winning you are going to open yourself up to criticism for some of those areas and taking those opportunities and that's something that you have to know and be able to accept yeah absolutely Blake I think he he put something on his Instagram this is before I knew he was going to play last week and he had like some like scheduled concert or something him playing the saxophone something happened where he was like doing some kind of like musical showcase oh yeah and I'm like like where where are you? Aren't you supposed to be practicing? Are you are you done playing football? Like it just was so bizarre. And then it came out that he was playing. So it was like, okay, that makes it a little bit better. I'm not sure if he ever did it, but like he had like a showcase where he was gonna play saxophone. And like it's it's frustrating because like he is not his background growing up, he was very privileged. I mean it's 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 come out. Like his parents are very well off. His dad, I think, is a brain surgeon, like he or or some kind of a major surgeon. Um, very uh, respected people in the community. And he just comes off as somebody who's gotten a lot of things handed to him in life. He's super athletic. And I don't want to be too critical of the guy because I, I don't know him personally, but he's just, doesn't that just, you know, you look at other guys who've had to fight for everything. David Johnson, who his family moved him out of, you know, a bad part of the South and they went to Iowa and he didn't get any scholarships and he's come in. You just root for guys like that. And then Robert's got all the talent in the world mm-hmm. and he just kind of just is going through the motions. And so do I think he's part of the Cardinals future long-term? I think that, I think he's going to get his fifth year option picked up. I think that, Right now, it, you can have depth on the defensive line. You can overpay for one year Robert Kimdichie. And you know what? You may get one great year prior to free agency, and then you let him walk, right? You let him walk. You let a, another team overpay him. Maybe he has his Frank Clark-type season like Seattle's getting right now, and you can go into the offseason and say, okay, we've got a couple other guys like the Cardinals did with Kimdichie when they had Clayus under contract one more year, when they had – docking under contract and they drafted Calais or Antonio Smith, I should say like plan for the future, obviously, but at the same time, like just keep them under contract. You're going to have so much cap space. It's just, it's dumb not to keep them. How many more years can you expect quality play out of, you know, the Corey Peters of the world. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think it's going to be an area where the Cardinals are going to look to add 
early in the draft, but I, I would keep him around, assuming he stays clean off the field, which to, to his credit, no issues off the field with so that's been good. Yep. But man, like if you can just if he can just give you like seventy five percent of what you got on Sunday, which is just <laughs> a, a, a disruptive play here or there every half, like that's all they need from Robert. And I know people are disappointed because he was a first round pick, but at the same time, like the Cardinals were picking, that was in twenty fifteen when the Cardinals almost got to the Super Bowl. Like that was one of their last picks in the first round. Like you miss on guys like that. Like I, I don't fault Steve Kime for, for, for rolling the dice on Kim Dietschy because the upside is there. I know people want to bang on him because you didn't take Chris Jones. Like that, that's a coin flip decision. What I don't care for is the next year you take a linebacker 13th overall and he's been a complete non-factor as well. Like there's, there's a big difference mm-hmm, just in my opinion. And I put DJ Humphreys in that category too, because you're picking in the twenties. But when you're picking in the when you're picking in the top seven with Jonathan Cooper, if you're picking thirteenth with with Hassan Reddick and you need a quarterback, like those are magnified more to me. Not not that you don't want to hit on your first rounders, but like I just I for whatever reason give Steve Kai more of a pass on Humphreys and Kendichi than I do the Hassan Reddicks of the world. That's yeah. just I think especially since you're seeing Kandishi now is in a 4-3 where he's been able to be able to just get upfield to penetrate versus having to be kind of a five-tech or holding lanes open for linebackers to run through, which was a part of what Arizona did was they would have their nose tackle would be or their defensive tackles would kind of hold lines open for linebackers, and then they would have Calais on one side, Chandler Jones on the other, being your kind of pass rushers. There wasn't as much of a spot for Robert to really embrace. What's been interesting this year is that when he's been on the field, he's been productive, which is something that it's, it's hard to say outside of the run game for DJ Humphreys because he's been good in the run game against the pass, and some of that's because Arizona gets themselves into bad situations. What's interesting, at least, is that Kandichi's still up there as far as tackles for loss. I believe he's second on the team behind Chandler Jones in tackles for loss. You've been able to see the penetration. Uh, he was in the start of the year, at least back in October. Remember, he was a, amongst the league leaders as far as reforcing tackles for loss. Then he's missed a couple of weeks due to injury. You're hearing at least there's maybe some extensive lower body injuries that are going on, whether it's the ankles or whether it's the knee, just whatever seemed to happen. And I think that you're right in terms of when the Cardinals and Steve Oates came in, I do think that maybe in hindsight, perhaps they mismanaged that situation a little bit because Kandice came in, he was anointed the starter from the beginning, kind of, hey, we got this role for you, you'll be moving forward. I think it would have been good to be able to say, hey, we're just going to go ahead and make it where you have to kind of work your way up, kind of give that motivation, maybe handing it to him right off the bat wasn't the best. And since he was devoted, he's kind of had to crawl his way back onto the field, gets an opportunity with Olsen Pierre out and then takes the most of it. Perhaps that's the kind of area you have to do with coaching is kind of have him be a guy who has to go and move forward and earn it. Because, you know, as people have said, he's got all the talent in the world. You just, you don't see him enough. Uh, let's see. So let's John, let's move next and talk about just with, a little bit of a Steve Kime with some of the current roster move-ins 2019. I did a bit of just looking into the Cardinals with their contract spots and then just evaluating the roster overall. So let's start with the offense, just because that's going to be probably the area that I think will take the least amount of time. But I think easy to see next year, your starter is going to be Rosen. Uh, You're going to be looking at David Johnson as the running back. Christian Kirk seems to be the one guy who's a lock at wide receiver. 
you know, you're getting another year of Humphreys. You know, Pew is, uh, you know, like it or hate it, he's signed to a long-term deal. You're at least going to be having him for one more year, investing into him. Perhaps you end up drafting a later round guy to push him. You got Mason Cole. A.Q. Shipley is a guy who I'm not sure if he's going to be We'll have to see what happens post-injury, if he's going to be just a backup, if he's even going to have a shot at the roster. And the only other guy who I think that they're going to probably bring in out of perhaps necessity is going to be Ricky Seals-Jones. So in other words, you've got four guys who are definite, and then you've got Humphreys, Cunningham, Seals-Jones, and maybe even Cole. Those are four guys that you probably could use an upgrade from. And Corey Cunningham has played really well in his last two games, so he's got five more games left of the season now that Andre Smith has gone to prove it. Uh, that one's kind of up in the air, but John, right right now you're looking at having to get at least one or two more wide receivers if Fitzgerald leaves. You've got to get a new left guard. You're going to have to get someone to be able to push it right and left tackle. That It's basically building up seven of your 11 players overall on offense. Steve Keim has not managed to really hit on an offensive pick at least outside of david johnson and so far with christian kirk who you know still has had, have some issues with separating at least that we can see and then you've got rosen so what is it that with the offense that we're looking at as far as going into next year we've talked a bit about having to go in free agency the draft how do you think that the offense got to the stage where bruce arians had the league leading offense in 2015 uh, maybe outside of i'd have to check if carolina was further but it was the number one offense in 2015 now you're looking at the 31st ranked offense maybe it's 32nd by the year end considering the fact that josh allen's been able to run and throw deep for a few passes at buffalo how, how did we get here to this point on offense and how is it that we only have these players who are the next year? What is it with Steve Kime with bringing this offense together and this lack of talent that we're seeing? Well, I'll answer your first question with this. Steve Kime and Bruce Arians were on the same page for just about everything. And Steve Kime drafted players that fit Bruce Arians MO that fit Bruce Arians offense that every year you knew the Cardinals were going to look at potentially the fastest wide receiver in the draft to add to Bruce Arians offensive attack. They wanted Marquise Goodwin. Yep. They got John Brown. They got JJ Nelson. He wanted a hammer running back who could also catch the football. They got David Johnson. Um, He wanted Carson Palmer, a veteran quarterback. And to Bruce's credit, he backed it up every time. And so it's like, give this man what he wants. He can elevate players. Steve Kime is super savvy in free agency fines late in the offseason, one-year contracts. And then Steve Kime, to his credit, built a very stable defense that was top five again in the NFL for three years running. They had great defensive coordinators in Bruce Arians' time here who also elevated the players. Again, it's coaching. Who's to say a new coach couldn't come in and elevate Ricky Seals-Jones, an offensive coach. Who's to say a new coach couldn't come in and elevate some of these young receivers that the Cardinals have? We just don't know. That doesn't mean that the Cardinals don't have a bottom-tier offensive talent pool based on personnel. They've got the most important position, that's quarterback. Rosen himself is going to elevate others as he enters his second season. David Johnson is an all-pro running back, and I think that you've got uh, a number of, 1A or uh, a very high ceiling number two receiver in Christian Kirk. Outside of that, you need a lot. But at the same time, I think that outside of the offensive line, where more or less guys can either play or they can't, people can be elevated based on coaching. And I think that the Cardinals will have to go out first because the first thing they'll need in the offseason is to find a coach, right? Steve Kime is brought back. You find a coach that's going to say, I want to win with Josh Rosen. I can do this. I can do this. 
And then you begin to work together, Steve Kime and let's say John Filippo work together on an offensive identity. They look at an offense like, let's say, Minnesota right now. You've got two dominant X and Y receivers. You've got an underneath tight end like a Kyle Rudolph. You've got a running back like David Johnson, Dalvin Cook, who can come out of the backfield, catch the football. That's the, if that's the kind of offense you want, then you need big physical wide receivers to go along with Christian Kirk. But I think the most important thing, Blake, at, at the end of the day is the Cardinals, to me, if they want to prolong Rosen's career, if they want to add value to David Johnson, they have to fix the offensive line first and foremost. You can't do everything in one offseason, and I think it's important for fans to know that. But a good right. offensive coach, a good coach in general like Bruce Aaron, like the Cardinals roster in 2013, not 2014, 2015, but in 2013 when they won 10 games, it was not a top top roster in the league. But they were elevated by some short-term signings by Kime, and then Arians taking you know a rookie class featuring Tyron Matthew and some other key players and elevating guys. And you got to 10 wins because of coaching and because of some key moves. Like I'm not saying the Cardinals can do that this offseason, but I can, I can definitely see a scenario in which, okay, you hit on a couple key players in the draft. You get a couple key free agent signings. You get the right offensive coach. Like the Cardinals could be a very competitive, competitive non-playoff team next year. I think that's probably best case scenario for, for this roster right now. And then you could be talking about come 2020. And I know fans don't want to hear this as a team upward trajectory on the rise, so on and so forth. But I think, I think it starts with the right offensive coach and then investing premium draft choices on the offensive line. And like, I get it. People want Nikhil Harry. They want receivers. They think the NFL, that's, that's what it's about now. And, and more or less, I, I would agree with that. But at the same time, when you're uh, that big of a liability, like the Dallas Cowboys can afford to go and throw a first-round pick at Oakland for Amari Cooper because they've gotten the lead offensive line when it's healthy. They've got Tyron Smith. They've got Zach Martin. They've got Travis Fredwick. The Cardinals don't have anybody at any position up front that, that can match any of those players. They don't have anybody who's 75% uh, of Tyron Smith or Zach Martin. <laughs> so you got to fix the offensive line first. You can find key free agents to, to catch the football in free agency. You know, if you want to overspend for the golden tapes of the world, I mean, it's not my money. Go ahead. But the offensive line has to be built. That'd be my number one priority offensively. And then I think you'll really be able to see the full kind of repertoire of what Josh Rosen can bring to the table offensively when you give him time. He is such a a, a precision passer. He can throw into tight windows. You don't have to have all pro receivers, all pro tight ends at every position. You can have receivers who may not separate that well because Rosen is so deadly accurate, but just give him some time. He can't continually get hit like this later in his career. He's not going to last. That's the easiest Mm -hmm. way to ruin a quarterback. So I would throw as many resources as I could. I like John's suggestions on the offensive line, a couple veterans on, on cheap contracts, uh, flood the position in the draft. I would draft two tackles. I draft an interior offensive lineman. Uh, I would try to trade Patrick Peterson. You know, this to get an additional pick, potentially trade down if you can and just flood, flood, flood that unit. And then hopefully, you know, not everybody's going to stick, but man, you get another productive year out of Corey Cunningham next year. Let's say he he's your right tackle. Let's say DJ Humphreys is elevated. And then you, you work on fixing the interior. Like they could turn that around from being one of the worst units in the NFL to maybe a top 15 unit 
really quickly. Yeah, you'd, you'd hope to get to top 15 at least, and I think that's where there's a lot of work to still be done. For me, I think the, the issue with the Cardinals overall is that, and I think we've even talked about this, of the investment that they've made in the offensive line has not been cheap, but this last year, Steve Keim just seemed to have, he picked you know an injury-prone guy in Justin Pugh. We'll see how that pays off. Decided to keep Mike Yupati. The investment in Andre Smith only to be cut and released now, it just felt to me very much like they poured a lot into the defensive side. And I think that Kime is a guy who looks at value. He looks at trying to basically find guys for a certain value, and then he can that way pay the core players what they're worth so he doesn't have to lose core players and can try to find smaller options. And it hasn't worked the last three years in a row. In 2015, he had to go out, get the big offensive lineman, pay a lot of guys on the line, be able to have Bobby Massey in kind of the last year of his contract and a contract year, no less. And that was really what it kind of took to be able to get the line where it was not even a top offensive line. It was, it was decent. And then you had Chris Johnson and David Johnson being able to run through with the holes that were there and the space that was being created. So I think there's a lot to work on there. And I, I just taking a look then also at the, at the defense, if we do end up trading Patrick Peterson, this is interesting because I think that this is a, in a, some cases, a reverse Earl Thomas situation. The Seahawks did not want to pay Earl Thomas again at age 30. They didn't want to hand him out a huge, massive deal. They wanted to keep him for the remainder of his contract. He mm. was in a, you know, last year of his deal. He's like, I don't want to be able to play. I want to get traded to another team and then have that team be able to pay me. I only have a certain amount of time and could potentially get injured. The Cardinals are like, we want to keep Patrick Peterson. We've got plenty of cap space next year. We want to line up to pay you and be able to keep you around here. They think that highly of him. That's what's been interesting is the Cardinals are looking at Patrick Peterson saying, hey, we want to bring you on for another, you know, take your deal, add three more years onto the end of it for that one. Let's get you paid up, buddy. Patrick Peterson in a spot of he doesn't want to be there with the team because he's wanting to win. Perhaps it's wanting to just be on a team in Super Bowls. Maybe it's even just being a face of the franchise and the way that he was expecting that Larry Fitzgerald was going to hang it up by now, that this would be a defensive-led team. Maybe looking at the Jaguars and Jalen Ramsey kind of becoming a face of that franchise. And it just has not happened that way for him. Maybe he's just in a spot of not liking the direction of the team has gone, not seeing the leadership. And I think that leadership has been a huge a huge issue for the Cardinals. But if he's gone, you're looking at their team next year. You've got Chandler Jones. You've got, you know, Corey Peters is here next year. I think Nimdichi is a guy who's going to be here, whether it's as a depth player, as a starter, I'm not sure. Rodney Gunter is a free agent. I'm guessing someone else will be the one extending him. You've got Reddick at linebacker. You're assuming Bynes is coming back. It's only a, 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 an injury to his thumb, fortunately, not anything there. You got Buda Baker. That's it. You're having to look for players, a defensive tackle. You got Marcus Golden's a free agent. And I have a feeling that he might be a one year deal candidate. And if he doesn't come back or if another team pays him more than that, he's not, you're then going to have to get three cornerbacks if you don't have Patrick Peterson. And you're going to have to pick up another linebacker, maybe even two linebackers. You, Steve Kime invested a ton into with drafting Buda Baker and pouring into the defense. And he's, in some cases responsible for a lot of this because you let guys like Tony Jefferson walk, you let guys like Calais Campbell, at least whether it was not my franchising or not wanting to pay to keep around. Some of it is maybe you weren't able to, but the decisions that were made overall, it only works if you're able to bring in new players. And so the defense right now, like John, this defense, it's maybe even more of a rebuilding effort than the offense. The offense, at least you've got your trio of Rosen, Johnson and Kirk to work around. You've got two line, three linemen that you can bring back next year, maybe even four if you count Cunningham him the defense john is going to need a complete revamping here like this is something where steve kimes made picks and investments and they've not worked out 
Yeah, he the Tony Jefferson move to me just didn't make a whole lot of sense because those are the kind of players I think, and we know that he didn't respect Tony Jefferson's value early on. I mean, the Cardinals could have slapped the restricted free agent tag on him, I think, a year before he left to kick in an additional one to one point million for Tony just to kind of do him a solid, put the tag on him. Uh, didn't affect his free agent status one way or the other, and they, they chose not to. Kime chose not to, and that rubbed him the wrong way. It was a shrewd business move by Kime. I think that kind of backfired because it really soured Tony on the franchise. Tony went out and had a great year right before free agency and cashed in with Baltimore. He's been a good player for them. And um, just because like Tony was the kind of player that you want to keep around, not only because he was a, a, a great contributor, I think it was a great locker room guy, but he was an undrafted guy. I mean, don't you want to reward those kind of players? That 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 to me is one of his biggest misses. Kime, uh, the Clayus Campbell move, I understood. I, uh, even though the Cardinals were still kind of in a win now window, uh, the amount of money for what Clayus Campbell demanded at his age, he had the kind of outlier year last year. He's come back down to earth now, probably a little bit overpaid heading into 2019. Uh, and so that that move, while well, it backfired last year, uh, I can understand why Steve did it. Same with Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew was overpaid. You're a slot nickel corner in this NFL where nobody plays defense now. Unless, for me, you're rushing the passer, you can dominate the defensive line, or you're, you're a legitimate off-ball off linebacker or a number one corner, like, just not going to get the big money. And so, you know, with with regard to Patrick Peterson, you know, I, I don't like handing out big-time contracts for defensive players over 30. I, I don't think it's good business. I think Seattle knew that. I mean, Earl Thomas is still one of the best safeties in the NFL, just like Patrick Peterson is one of the best corners in the NFL. Both are going to go to the Hall of Fame. But at the same time, you have to be cognizant that, you know what, the back end of that contract is not going to look good. You're going to owe way too much money. You're going to, you know, eventually guys, skill sets defensively. You can't run with these younger guys anymore. Peterson is a freak in nature. Maybe he's the outlier in that, you know, rule with that rule. But at the same time, again, like, you're watching teams like the Rams and the Chiefs, teams that we think are going to be in the Super Bowl, and they don't play defense. I mean, like, they play situational defense. That's what wins the, in the NFL now. Play situational defense and, and have guys who can get after the quarterback. How many corners do you need? I, I, I get people are frustrated with the fact that the Cardinals don't have a number two corner with Patrick Peterson. Like, that is the Cardinals, in my opinion, the least of their problems right now. The Cardinals can't pass protect. The Cardinals can't run block. They have no offensive identity. They can't score points in 2018. Like, I don't really care who the number two corner is opposite Patrick Peterson come next year. And and when people talk about, well, if you, if you trade Peterson, you have to take Greedy Williams in the top 10. Like, that is that is so far-fetched and, and blind si- or short-sighted, in my opinion. Um, this one, this game is still one up front in the trenches. You can find complimentary corners, you know, day two, day three of the draft. Um, you know, the, as far as the rest of the defense goes, it's sad that the Cardinals are again in a position where they have to rebuild a linebacker. Uh, at this point, Hassan Reddick to me has entered Robert Kimdichie ter- territory, whereas get anything from him, great, but he can't be counted on consistently as a starter. Like you've mentioned, break, he's probably better as an off the ball or excuse me, as an edge rusher, not an off the ball, you know, in space linebacker covering edge rusher. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Covering bigger receivers and tight ends. I don't care how good of an athlete he was coming out of temple. Uh, and then Daniel Buchanan for sure probably will not be back. Josh Bynes is under contract, but again, you know, how, how high is his ceiling? Cardinals need at least two more linebackers in the off season. And then you look at the defensive line, 
Chandler Jones is their one blue chipper up front, you're going to be in a position, I think, with the Cardinals to potentially take a Joey Bosa, Quinn and Williams, Ed Oliver. If they don't go offensive line, I think they absolutely will add some kind of a defensive line disruptor talent uh, with their first overall pick. I, I just can't see them going any other way outside of a, uh, a tackle uh, that blows their socks off that they take. I think they'll go defensive line early and often in the draft. Um, and I think it's the right way to go. I think the easiest way to rebuild the team is, is up front in the trenches. You can dominate another team. Even if you don't have great perimeter players, you don't have great corners or safeties. If you can just take, you, you always hear that you, you, you move somebody against their will. That's the easiest way to dominate an NFL game. And the Cardinals have to get back to doing that. Uh, when they were rolling in 2015, their offensive line was the best it's ever been since coming to the desert. And their defense was again, uh, a top five unit. So, uh, it's, it's a long way to go. But again, if you're able to hit on a, on a capable ta- tackle this offseason, got Chandler Jones, you got Josh Rosen, in my opinion, three most important positions of football right there. Yeah, for sure, John. I think that's where the Cardinals are right now is that they're in a spot of having to accept that this is a rebuild. I think that was one of the things we've talked about was the team when they went and hired Steve Wilkes. And I think this is part of it as a question of leadership, whether it was kind, Bidwell, a combination. I think part of the reason why they decided to go with uh, the Steve Wilkes and Mike McCoy angle was they did not want to basically go and hire a young young coordinator or an offensive guy to have to then draft a rookie quarterback and go through this type of struggle and part of the reason i think is that you're seeing you can have one bad year that sinks your entire team and i think that's part of it is maybe it's out of fear maybe a lot of it is due to that unbelief or not looking at maybe it's not believing in the rookie or believing in what you have currently or maybe it's pride and maybe it's thinking we know what we have. We're good talent evaluators. We can coach these guys. I think that there's a lot that goes into it. And that's the biggest, um, that's the biggest thing I would say, at least overall about this team and this situation. So let me, let me ask you this, John, because I know that we've looked at that as far as the Cardinals, you're probably looking at total revamping of the defense uh, with Patrick Peterson. I think I would lean toward the fact that I would say you keep him because for me, a bird in the hand is still worth two in the bush. I still think it would be worth the picks. If he's a guy who's going to hold out or if a team comes up and says, Hey, we'll give you a first rounder this year, first rounder next year. And Patrick Peterson is like not wanting to take any type of paycheck. He's not wanting to play for you. He's like, I'm not going to show up in training camp. That would be kind of the case that I would start to like listen and see what the teams would be offering just because he's still a guy who's in his prime and I still think the Cardinals can turn it around if they can't then well you can try to turn to your advantage get some picks and be able to rebuild from there but I think that you should first try to do as much as you can to be able to keep him here and keep him playing because you need to have some type of cornerstone and pillars to be able to to build around so let me go and kind of lay this out here with the lack of leadership that we've seen I think a lot of that can be traced back to the decision making that Steve Kime has had with Mike McCoy with the hiring at least of Wilkes and with the direction that they've gone I don't even think it's an area of having to go a defensive route. I think if they had a good defensive coach who's stopping these opposing offenses, then you're going to start talking about how these would be closer games. They wouldn't be uh, these 45 to 10 level of below after. Instead, you've seen coaching that's taken at the opposite direction. A lot's fallen on Kime. He had a lot of issues earlier this year. Let's talk a little bit about what this. Do you think that Steve Kime should be brought back next year? Because we're both have kind of been leaning toward the idea that he might. I think the more of these 45 to 10 losses that stack up, the more that it might be that they go for a complete type of house cleaning, if that's the case. But do you think that Steve Kime should be brought back next year? That's a question at least I have to you, Don. Should he be brought back? Maybe he will be, but should he be? Um, I think that at this point, Blake, 
I think I would part ways with Steve. That's the first time I've been on the record saying that. <laughs> I've been a big Steve Kime defender. I think he is a capable general manager, two-time GM of the year, 2013-2014 uh, NBC uh, um, Sports Pro Football Talk Online named him their GM of the year back-to-back. He has represented consistency with this franchise that has been greatly missing. He's got a place with this franchise since, I believe, 2001. Um, he has been a uh, very capable GM, but he has had probably a terrible stretch of personnel decisions outside of the Rosen pick. Uh, and then you mix in the extreme DUI, and that plays a big part of it for me because I think you lose players' respect. Uh, and I think he's just kind of gone into hiding this year. And so I, I am at the point now, Blake, where I would move on from him just because of the fact that I'm also moving mm-hmm. on from Steve Wilkes and you're going to allow a new coach to pair with a new GM and you're going to start fresh for Josh Rosen. I think there's just too much baggage with Steve at this point to where you cannot come out and, and just have another lackluster offseason that leads to another losing season. Uh, and I'm a little bit concerned, Blake, that Steve at this point will try to go all in in the off season to try to remedy what went wrong this season. That concerns me. I would rather have a GM and a head coach on the same page mm. trying to play the long game together of consistent success. And I, I just I'm worried about Steve being too reactionary this off season. And I'm also worried about any head coach that you get brought on with Steve. Steve could be one and done after next year. And so what does that mean for the head? You're not going to fire the head coach then. And so you're going to be asking another GM to inherit the coach. I just, it's concerning to me in a lot of ways. And I just, the 2015, the 2016, the 2017 drafts were not good enough specifically on the in the first round the cardinals haven't hit on a pro bowl player in the first round since patrick peterson in 2011 that was when rod graves was still picking the players um so i i'm at the point now where i would say steve thanks for all you've done but i would go and try to find somebody who can come in and a younger general manager to pair with a young offensive minded head coach and to build this thing up from the ground um and show some patience finding the new core of Cardinal players. I just, I think Steve is just too attached to this, the old regime, the Larry's and the Anquans and the Adrian's and the, and the Bruce Arians. Uh, it's, it's time to move on to find the next phase of, of Cardinal football, which is led by Josh Rosen. And I think needs to be led by another front office GM and another head coach. That's just my opinion. I I'm not rooting for him to get fired. It's something that I go back and forth on. I'm disappointed that it's that it's turned this way for him because I I do think he is a good GM when when um you know I say when he's making the right selections but <laughs> I think he's got a better track record than he does I think it's just magnified because the first round picks haven't worked out and then you throw in the fact that he had the extreme DUI it's just it just it's not a good look and uh, I, I it's especially not a good look Blake I keep coming back to this but. When you take an off-ball linebacker like Hassan Reddick, a tweener defensive end, you play him at linebacker, and you essentially pass on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, who are both franchise quarterbacks leading their team to the playoffs. That's just 
as much as I love Rosen, that that is almost unforgivable to me at this point. Yeah, this is, I, I think that that's what you're touching on is it's not the, the first round picks. You can say that there's not really an all pro or a huge talent that they've hit on since 2011. There's, you know, guys like Buchanan who've worked out. There's guys, at least like DJ Humphreys, who've been, you know, he's, he's proven that he's a starter in this league. He's also played, you know, in 27 of about 50 or so possible games that he can play. And this is, you know, the fourth year. Mason Cole, I believe, is already like, you know, almost half of his full amount of starts that he's had which uh, by the time the season's done which is crazy but i think that it goes into when you're talking about that one whether it was a lack of leadership having to come from kind whether it was from making some of the same mistakes the thing you line up and look at is he is not he came in with a promise of we need to fix the offensive line and through 2015 he had done that and then what's happened since then is that you have not seen the same fixing or the same attention and not been able to say making the same mistakes again again and not learning from it was the same thing that we saw with Steve Wilkes of not self-scouting, not evaluating yourself. And that's what really has to take leadership is being able to adjust and make all of those different types of changes to be able to go with the times, be able to move ahead. He's kind of, in some cases, had some good picks overall, but there's some areas at least of stubbornness. And it came down to a lot of this year is the first year that he was kind of released from having the areas and influence. His biggest moves that he made was he's like, hey, we're going to go out, we're going to get Mike McCoy, Sam Bradford, and Andre Smith. And I'm going to go and sign an injury, kind of prone, you know, decent, but... uh, Horrible right guard. And it's been such a huge and terrible misstep. You're like having to evaluate everything that you're like, okay, well, let's take a step back. What exactly is it that got us into this situation? And I think that's the biggest thing about it is because of the repeated mistakes, I think I would go along with you and say, look, I think that this is a time for the Cardinals. As you said, it's perfect opportunity to be able to move on, to get a fresh start with everyone. And I think that it also takes out a lot of the complicated factor of, let's say the Cardinals go into next year, and let's say that they end up drafting or trading down the two players that they end up picking up. One of them maybe gets hurt. One of them perhaps ends up, you know, disappointing or sits on the bench for a year. You got a couple more picks that are going to be out of it. Maybe even if you deal Patrick Peterson, you're not sure what's going to happen with the picks. That's kind of what Steve Kime, I think, would want to do is you feel like the feeling of him trusting himself to try to make that type of a move down just because he really does evaluate himself as a good talent scout overall. And a lot of cases, I think that he is in some cases, I think he doesn't question himself or this, uh, this team enough, especially with some of the choices with whether it's offensive line coaching or just with the way this setup had went, I really have felt like this is going to be an overcomplicated situation. If you bring back Steve Kime for year two, you go out and get another head coach and all of a sudden you're going to have to still have to question about, okay, things are still not going well. Is this going to be something where we have to move on from Steve Kime now as well? Like another year or two after that, you should have your GM and head coach should be tied together. That was why they extended Steve Kime in the, the first place and i think that there's sometimes you just do need to get a fresh start overall we've seen it before with andy reed when he left philly we're going to probably see it again with mike mccarthy who's coaching the packers game this sunday very much might be the case for steve kime of having to be able to you know take on a different type of a role um, i don't even know if you fire him or let him go maybe it's even an area you say hey we'd like you to be able to you know step down we've got some of your contract that's at least going to be there in the organization the firing at least would be much more of a statement by michael bidwell that's kind of why i'm hoping that it happens because it's going to be a clear sign not just to the players but also to the fans of hey we see that this is a team that could have gone 0 and 16 with this talent that went 2 and 14 we are not going to take this seriously the expectations for this franchise are much higher than they have been all right john let's move on to kind of our last segment of the night let's talk a bit about the 
the Green Bay Packers, specifically looking at two of the biggest narratives for this week. The first one is the most interesting one to me uh, is the fact that Mike McCarthy is probably not going to be retained as the Packers head coach following this season. Some have even joked that he'll be auditioning for like a head coaching job with the Cardinals after this. And you've already seen, you know, he took Aaron Rodgers, built him up, had a new system and scheme that he put in for Brett Favre. Didn't work as well, but you got to see some tremendous results in the Super Bowl even. You've also then seen a slow decline over the last few years. You see Rodgers kind of be able to stay that top quarterback, but statistically a lot of things have fallen off questions about the offense and play calling. He's on his way out. Uh, The game in Lambeau is clearly going to be slanted toward the Packers. What are your thoughts as far as what you've seen out of McCarthy so far? What are your thoughts at least about this card is this this isn't any type of case i think that we can agree is any type of whether it's not a a trap game or any type of kansas city it it seems very much to me like this is a desperate packers team playing at home in the cold i don't think there's a chance that we're going to even need to mention as far as arizona having a spot to win especially after the give up that we saw last week so uh, let's talk just more and focus on that mccarthy narrative that we're seeing here john yeah, I, I definitely think it's going to be very similar, at least defensively, to what we saw a week ago. Uh, the Packers' defense is is pretty maligned, um, but I, I gosh, yeah. yeah, yeah, they are um, they are underrated for sure. I don't know if they're as good as certainly not as good as the Charger defense with Bosa and Ingram on the edge. Um, so I could see the Cardinals. I say this every week. I could see the Cardinals having a little bit more offensive success, but I um, never see it. <laughs> right. I, I always expect that it never comes, but man, defensively, they are, uh, they have their work cut out for them probably in their worst matchup of the year cross country after a defeated game, you know, Rogers is, is super motivated for this contest. Now, uh, who knows? Like this McCarthy thing could be way worse than we anticipate. And, and it could linger, but I expect the opposite. The Cardinals, uh, the funny thing is, is I, I will be at this game. I will be at Lambeau Field for the first time. Uh, and I bought these tickets with my dad uh, before the season, uh, hoping that we would see Josh Rosen. At least I'm getting that. Uh, and, he's, and he's able to play, and he's the starter. Uh, and I thought at this point in the season, maybe he'd be, you know, showing signs of, of you know, of, being an elite franchise quarterback. We haven't seen that quite yet, um, but I'm excited to go just because of being able to see Rosen play, but really nothing else about this game excites me. It's, it's, it's a little bit terrifying because of what Philip Rivers did to this team a week ago. Anytime you ask a Cardinal team, I don't care if it's the 2011 team or the 2009 team or the 2015 team to go on the road into in December to Lambeau field or to like a Foxborough, like that's, that's recipe for bad news. I mean, like that, that, that doesn't bode well for the Cardinal teams of the past that have had success to go and do that. And so now we're talking about potentially the worst team in franchise history after getting blown out after the Packers had an embarrassing loss to go and do that. I mean, it it literally like I, I could see it getting really ugly, really fast, Um, something like 32 to seven at halftime. I mean, like, honestly, like the Packers have underachieved all year and have played down to the competition should have lost on Monday night, uh, to CJ Beathard, uh, in Lambeau field. And I still think that they're going to have their way with the Cardinals. There's just, there's nothing that leads me to believe that the Cardinals defensively can keep up with, with this unit 
with what I think Aaron Jones is going to do to them, with the fact that Dale Buchanan's not expected to play right now when they've lost Josh Bynes, their best linebacker for the season. You're, you're, you're basically going to have to play Buda Baker if he's able to play at some sub-linebacker packages. Gerald Hodges, who has no business being a starter on any team, is kind of, is going to get you know valuable snaps. I mean, like unless McCarthy goes rogue and doesn't run the ball, which he's <laughs> known to do, and true. the Cardinals are able to ha- get some pressure with Chandler Jones, David Bakhtiari um, has not played, I think, in the last week or two. So if he's, if he's out... The Cardinals have a chance again. They they had they pressured Drew Brees all weekend uh, in the first half, and then it didn't matter. They pressured Philip Rivers last year too. That's the huge thing. Yeah. Like they had four sacks of Rivers in like the first like quarter and a half. That was one of the craziest yep. things about that twenty-five completion run. At least was that the Cardinals had sacked him before then. Yep, didn't matter. And so I think we could see a similar scenario where Chandler Jones gets his, and it doesn't matter in the long run. But man, like I just I just want to see the breakout game for Josh Rosen it would be fun. I thought we were going to get a shootout last weekend. I thought it was going to be that the Cardinals were going to hit 30 points. I just thought that the, the Chargers didn't look like they were, you know, into the game and, and that Rosen started off hot again. And then, man, right when you think this team has a chance to show you they're going to be competitive, they just take a nosedive and just you look up and it's like, oh, it's the fourth quarter and they don't have 200 yards of offense. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's where they're at every week. And so like, I'm not going to get my hopes up. I'm looking forward to the game just for the event of it. But, mm-hmm. man, the Cardinals, to me, I, I, I see no way that they keep the Packers under. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen either. It's Packers are probably going to be able to at least run the ball up on the Cardinals, even if Mike McCarthy doesn't give Aaron Jones a ton of the carries. He's still averaging about six yards per carry overall. The Chargers were just killing it and – eating it up on the ground, even without Melvin Gordon. I think that that's the biggest thing is it's supposed to be also a very, very cold game in Green Bay. You're looking at it being snowing. It's going to probably have rain the day before. It's going to be snowing on that Sunday, at least a high of 36, low of 27. Cardinals have never done well in colder snow games whenever they've had that. That's just been part of what happens when you have an indoor team, a <laughs> desert team at least. is It's just rough. We've seen it also as Arizona State fans. Whenever the team goes up to Oregon or goes up north, there's always just a little bit that gets to you mentally. I think that this is going to be one of the biggest spots where the narrative that you're going to look for is, you know, Rosen and Rodgers, they met up pre-draft. And it's not like, you know, that they were best buds. Like we're not seeing them hang out like Matt Ryan or Matt Stafford in the off season at all. But I think that there is a little bit to the aspect of the similar backgrounds, the similar demeanors and kind of this desire to be able to keep working on their craft that we've seen from both. I would love to be able to see uh, just a decent game from Josh Rosen overall, one that, you know, you can hold your head high on. A lot of the players have come up to Rosen, but like, dude, like we know that you've got it. Just kind of hang in there. It would at least be a nice little kind of cap overall for the season of to have that kind of one step, at least of being able to see that generational difference. You know, both do have the same agent. You got to see at least some of the way that they relate to each other, the way the thought processes work, even some of the humor, at least overall was the same. Rosen, I know compared, I think he was like, are we on the bachelor now? Like we have to, I think it was his brother who was the one who was actually on the bachelor. And so there's, a lot that I think is going into this game, John, but overall at the end of the day, I think that what I'm going to be looking at is it's going to probably be a game like a 28 to, I don't think it's going to be reaching that. Maybe it reaches 30 points. So let's go with a 31 to, I'm going to go with 14. I think the Cardinals get a touchdown early and then I think that they'll get another touchdown late in garbage time. 
just because of the way that McCarthy goes, maybe you end up seeing a sack fumble, at least that happens to Rodgers. But I think this is another game where it's going to be over pretty quick because I don't think this Cardinals team is going to be able to withstand taking punches to the face. And after last week's effort, I think that this might be the first game where they come out in the first quarter and do come out pretty flat overall on defense. Maybe they get down pretty early versus making competitive. So I've got that 31 to 14 is going to be my prediction for the game. John, you're going to be actually at the game, which will be exciting. Talk a little bit about that kind of what you're expecting, at least from the experience, and a little bit about what you're expecting from the game as well as we kind of close it up tonight. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've never been to Lambeau Field. I've been to a handful of NFL stadiums. It's tough to go. You know, I live in uh, the Chicago suburbs uh, for the most part, and so uh, it's about a four-and-a-half-hour drive for <laughs> me, uh, and we're going to go up Saturday night, kind of take in the area. Because uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned this on air. I'm actually moving out west with my wife and my son uh, come early 2019. So I will be on Pacific Coast time, which I'm really excited about. So I'm, I'm getting this trip <laughs> uh, in while I'm yeah, still in the Midwest. I've been keeping John up uh, late and, for um, many nights. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we usually, uh, Blake and I, when we record, uh, it's about a two-hour time difference, but he's really good about being flexible. And so um, so that'll be nice, being in the t- same time zone as my Cardinals. Uh, but um, so, yeah, so I will – we're heading up Saturday night, taking the scenery, uh, looking forward to it. You know, that, that's just an institution of football greatness. That is Lambeau Field. Uh, and Rosen, we're in the, we're in the end zone uh, a couple rows up. So he, met, he mentioned, uh, not, not too close to the field, but he, Rosen made a comment this week about if, if he got permission to do the Lambeau Leap, he'd have to find <laughs> a few Cardinal fans that were there. So he'd have to come up pretty far to find, to find us. But I will have my Rosen jersey on. Uh, with about five layers of Under Armour because it's supposed to be super <laughs> cold. I think yeah. it's like you mentioned, supposed to sleet or snow. Um, so it'll be it'll be miserable. Um, but the good news is is it, that might be the kind of game for the Cardinals maybe to stay in it with with running the ball with David Johnson. That could kind of play into the Cardinals' advantage a little bit uh, because if you let Rogers sit back there and, and pick you apart, um, you know, in the passing game, and if if the field is kind of, you know, when they played Buffalo, I think earlier this year in Buffalo, the field wasn't great. And it kind of let Buffalo maybe hang around a little bit longer and, and Rogers didn't play his best game. So maybe that Rogers just hasn't had a typical Rogers year. And so maybe we're too far at this point. I mean, December, maybe this is just the kind of year that he's having and the Cardinals will be able to hang around. I just don't see that happening. Um, so I will, I will have my fair share of beverages to make it tolerable when the Cardinals are are in a position where they're down 30 points at some point but no i uh i would love it for for it to be the rosen breakout game listen the the, the packers to me are an a- average team an average mm-hmm. roster and then they have the best player at the position in aaron Rodgers, and that that'll be the difference this weekend so i'll go i i, I think they're going to drop 40 points on this team the cardinals just to me they don't have the players and they own the coach coaching and the elements could affect them greatly coming out from from out west coming to to, to the to the midwest so I'll go 40 to 17. Yeah, that's, that'd be a little bit more. That may be where it gets to. We'll have to see how the game goes. That's the biggest, uh, as far as 
what the team comes. I, I honestly don't know what to expect. We were pretty sure we knew what to expect with the Chargers game. No idea what to expect for uh, this Cardinals game outside of, I do think that David Johnson is going to probably get back to a hundred yards. And you're right, John. I, I do think that the Rosen breakout game, the one that we've already have to kind of look at is we've seen steps along the way against some of the more easy opponents. I think his breakout game was against Seattle. If you if the guys hang on to the balls, I think that he had a breakout drive against San Fran and the gun that he had the, kind of breakout game-winning drive against the Raiders. And now we've just kind of seen this team and offense overall let up on uh, just him and the wrestling. So it's a tough spot for the Cardinals fans. I think that the good news for that is that we only have a few more games to let it all be kind of over soon. We'll be obviously watching the Niners, the Raiders, the rest of the way to be able to see what happens. Um, But yeah, in the meantime, John, have a good time at the game on Sunday, at least stay warm as you can out there. Um, Where can they find you on Twitter? At least appreciate it. You up or follow you just to see some of the, you know, some of the in stadium views that you'll be having. Yes, I will try to post as much as I can. I'm not great at posting media on my Twitter. I'm usually just angrily tweeting about the Cardinals <laughs> at Johnny's Football, J O H N N Y S Football. Uh, and I, I will try to get plenty of sights and sounds from the game, from the, from the scenery, uh, and uh, try to get as much uh, pregame uh, content out as I can. Uh, who, who's active, who's not active? Blake, where, they, where can they find you on Twitter? They'll be able to find me at least at Revenge of the Birds on Twitter for that one. And pay attention. There's going to be kind of a little uh, announcement I'll probably have at least upcoming from my Twitter account over in the next couple of days also at least. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And as well as you can also make sure that you do like and subscribe to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are part of the SB Nation podcast network, Uh, making sure we can bring these uh, kind of a multiple podcasts for you each week just to make sure that we can get some of the content there folks thanks again for tuning in Uh, i'll be signing off here for that one as always go cardinals and let's go and have a we're always hoping again obviously for cardinals win in the midst of a season that has had only two of them and doesn't look like there's going to be another one anytime soon in the year 2018 Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Verge Cast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. So you listen to podcasts, check it out.